is episode 113 of Hebrews in Exile with our honorable teacher Robert B. Holman Jr. and Sean Appleton, and we are going to tackle a taboo subject called the Apocrypha in this podcast. Now, while in etymology, the word Apocrypha may be Greek, it only speaks about the books that have not been included in the canonized Bible, and specifically, the ones that we're going to talk about are the ones that deal with the Most High, Yahweh, because there are Apocrypha books that are germane to the New Testament. So, we're going to expose this issue and provide some clarity. Hebrews in exile, you know what we do. Let's go! This is Rabbi Robert B. Holman Jr. and John Appleton. And this is Hebrews in exile. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, my dear brother. And you are well? I am doing as well as a senior can be doing. I wake up now with certain aches and pains from which I know not where they come and even why they're there. Oh, okay. Oh. I don't know I don't know where they got the idea that these are called golden years. Oh really? I don't know what's golden. You don't know where that came from. I don't from. know what's golden about it. <laughs> well, you got all that wisdom and the gold that you impart into us, us young lads is, 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 is money well spent. Yeah, and aches and pains once again from which I know not where they come, and why they even arrive. Well, I can say this. You know, it's good to see you again. It's good to be seen. Well, you know, amongst all I'm, that, I'm, I'm, it's I'm glad. good to see you again. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. Let, let's sing a song. So glad I'm here. So glad I'm here. So glad I'm here. I'm here in Yahweh's name. name. Yeah, we got to change them words. We got to make sure we do that. You know, I was, I, I, I went, I went to the doctor. I had to go to the doctor yesterday okay. for a checkup and what have you. And so I'm walking through the parking lot. I noticed this car parked at the curb. Okay. It's, um, Looks like it's about an old Lincoln. Uh-huh. Black. It's kind of, it ain't new. It's kind of beat up a little bit. CIA? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said it was beat up. Okay. But in the back windshield, uh-huh. I saw something that caught my eye. Oh. Do you have any idea what I saw? You get some type of inscription on the back wind, windshield or something that said something? Yes, Kind of anecdotal. Okay. What's yes, up? It did. Do you have any idea what it might have said? What, uh, Jesus is my co-pilot? No. Oh. Yeah, that's usually what they have. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I love animals, they're delicious. No. Oh, no, i seen that one too. No. No, I don't have a clue. What'd you don't you have a clue? What'd you see? I saw yod Hey no. vav Hey in white letters on the back windshield. I said, here is somebody who knows the Most High's name. I don't know if they're Hebrew or not. And then I begin to think about it. I go, there are probably a few Hebrews in this city. Sure. Yeah. I saw actually the same thing uh, in my neighborhood. was coming off of the overpass, and I saw... Yod Hey Vav Hey on someone's back windshield wasn't a black Lincoln, but it was a like a brown Mazda, some of some sort. But it was written in the Paleo Hebrew. Oh, okay. And on the side windshield, on the sides of the vehicle, yeah. it had uh, Yeremehu Five. 
and with the menorah that somebody, you know, like when they say like, go Katie, Grand Slam, you know, when they do the volleyball stuff or somebody's graduated, you know how they write it with yeah, the, yeah, with the yeah. white on there? That's oh, how yeah. they had written it, oh, they had written it. on the side of the yeah. vehicle. They had yeah. Yeremehu 5 and they had uh, Yote Vave and, uh, uh, and Paleo Hebrew on the back. I said, look at here. There are some Hebrews in mm. our city that we live in. Now, whether or not they're Hebriskans, Right, that's, that's the other part. That's, yeah, that's another. That's the other part. Mm -hmm. And um, I know for one thing, we have introduced a lot of people out of this house to the Hebrew thought process and culture. We've introduced a lot of people, and and uh, simply when we uh, attested to the fact that the a scripture. Uh, JC couldn't be God. They 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 took they took the the piece out of the New Testament when he said, "Except you drink my drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life in you." And they all went away. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what happened to us when we introduced Jesus Christ. They all went away. They all went away. All they all you went know? away. And I think probably for 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 us, you know, my 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 concern is that the Most High, if there's one request that if our ways please the Most High, that he would continue to let us do, piggybacking on what you're saying, continue to let us do what we're doing. It may not mean that the house is full or our studio audience may be full or, or whatever, but because of what you just said, you know, we're affecting change in people's lives. They may come and they may go as a revolving door as, as we've seen it, but as long as that change is continuing to be made and there's a place that people know of, they may not come here, but they know of where the Most High's word is getting taught. Just allow us the opportunity to continue to keep growing Most High. Allow us the opportunity to have an edifice and a facility upon which to do things yes. that we need to have. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, so. yes. Listen, you have introduced into the teaching model something that historically um, we were taught to avoid. Okay. And there's two things in particular. One of the things that we were taught to avoid was Judaism. And um, with that thought in mind, our ancestors, our current, this, within this century, uh, ancestors, speak about Judaism in terms of staying away from the culture and the ideas of the Jews. That was what they wanted us to stay away from. With that in place, in mind, um, they also reframed us from studying the Apocrypha books. Oh. Although, in some of my early sermonizing I didn't I didn't I didn't really I, I went into uh, the book of Maccabees several times to extrapolate things out of there uh, to fit the modality of the teaching that I was doing but I didn't put any I didn't put any um, I didn't put any weight in it it was just information oh okay okay See? But now uh, you've introduced uh, into our teaching model the apocryphal books in a way that 
not only does it give them weight, but it gives them credence to the foundation. Mm. Mm. Now, what I would say to that is, uh, but I want you to talk about it. Okay. Okay. I, mean, I, ha- I, I know what I'm thinking, <laughs> but, but I want you to talk about that for a little bit, and then we're going to get into uh, some of the writings of, of the book of the Helium Psalms. Yeah, you, the the way that, and it's and it's funny how you. Um, first of all, thank you for for the compliment. Oh, oh, and before you do that, yes, sir. Uh, you may have heard, uh, you if you're listening to this podcast, you may have heard one of our prior podcasts when we were dealing with Alan Parr and um, Mike Weiner. Mike Winger, yeah. And um, Mr. Parr uh, made a statement saying that you have to be very careful. <laughs> when you engage uh, the Hebrew brethren because they're very well-versed in Scripture and in the mm-hmm. Apocrypha books. Mm-hmm. And I want to applaud him for giving us credit for that because, uh, yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's something where um, it, is, uh, it provides value. And that's, I think, probably the basis upon going into that study is, is when— as reading, as I did my dissertation to kind of do the whole entire kit and caboodle about the Apocrypha and how it came about and, and what it is, um, I got into the Apocrypha because of the study that I was doing in the book of Yahashua. In the book of Yahashua, it makes a, a very distinct reference to a book called the book of Yasher, uh, where Yahashua is validating or the writer of Yahashua is validating the things that were happening with that. The greatest miracle, in my opinion, it has to be in the top three of where the sun stood still in the sky. And it reiterates this particular issue in the, in the apocryphal book um, of the book of Yasher. So I kind of started investigating what was in the apocryphal books, um, or at least that particular apocryphal book. But for those of you that don't know what the apocrypha actually is, let me just give you a, just a quick down and dirty uh, explanation of what it is. As you all may know, the canonized Bible or biblica that we're all introduced to, which is, this is going to show you how the most high works. Yeah, yeah. With with this, even with the canonization of the Bible, there's a reason why all those books of the Bible are included in there. And Part of, the, part of the reason is, is we have to say, okay, during this time of like the Council of Nicaea, when they're comprising this, this codex, which has not only the Hebrew text, but it also has the Greek text that's in it as well. There's a decision-making process that's happening that's saying, what books are we going to include in this, in this book, this, this codex that we're actually trying to write? Okay, now I want you to hold your thought. Sure. Can you hold your thought back for a minute? Mm-hmm. You said... Which books are we going to include? Right. The we is not including any Hebrew person. That's correct. Yes. This 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 compendium of data that we have, this codex that we have that's called old and new, is the orchestration of Euro. Eurocentric men they're mm-hmm. not Hebrew that's correct and because of that I'm glad you make the distinction is because the Bible has an agenda there is an agenda behind the book called the Bible and that agenda everyone knows that's Ibir or Hebrew knows that the, the agenda is to prove Christ 
So many of you might say, okay, well, all right, well, you got to explain it a little bit further. And I am, because you're going to say, well, the Old Testament or what they refer to as the Old Testament, we don't use that term. Why are those particular books put in there to prove Christ? And I'm going to get, that, get to that in a second. But at the Council of Nicaea, they're deciding what books they want to include in this compendium. So as they're you know, collating all these books, and again, we understand that it has to be the agenda to prove Christ, we're going and we're taking all of the data and the information that we have. Now, I want to also say this, and, and you can piggyback on this too. The apocryphal books are not just the books. Uh, the apocryphal books are not only the books that are outside of the Masoretic text, which we would call the Old Testament. There are more writings from our Hebrew texts that have been lost, that have been burned, that have been just completely obliterated, outside, even outside of the apocryphal books. Oh, yeah. History records that over 4,000 writings of the <laughs> Hebrew people were destroyed and burned up by the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the apocryphal books, let's say we're all trying to put this codex together and we've got a set of series of books here and these series of books talk about a particular topic. And so what we want to do is we want to take all the books that talk about Christ or can prove Christ and we're going to make that and put that in our codex. Everything that's left out, we're going to call as a part of the apocryphal books. Now, there are two kinds of classifications of apocryphal books. There's the New Testament style apocryphal books that speak to Greek, uh, a Greek narrative. And then there's the apocryphal books that are designated closer to the Masoretic text. Books like the Book of Yasher, the Book of Maccabees, Jubilees, Baruch, Tobit, uh, the Book of Yasher, the book that we're going through right now, which is the Book of uh, Yehudit, which is Judith. These are all books that, complement the Masoretic text. When are reading the apocryphal books, I would strongly suggest that the Masoretic text is always going to be your base and your foundation. Right. Everything that you have in that Masoretic text and everything that you read in the apocryphal books needs to reconcile itself back to the word of the Most High, which is in the Masoretic text. If something's a little off there, then something's been tampered with. And as I go through even the book of Tobit, the book of uh, Baruch, the book of Yehudit, you can see mitzvot shine through. You can see the same things. And this is, what, this is why it's such a, a, a tool to use in, in, at the same time in parallel as you're reading the Masoretic text. Because it, you yourself, you know that as you're reading the Masoretic text and you're reading the Apocryphal book at the same time, it's filling in some gaps yeah. that are left out yes, yes. of the Masoretic text. Yes. You're like, oh, okay, now I yes, understand what's yes. going on. Case in point is which you can talk about, you're probably gonna say something about this, is, is, is with Avraham. We get a lot of the backstory about his family. We get a lot of the backstory about how his brother died, how his father um, went ahead and was talking. What was the king? I'm trying to remember the king that we called him. Was it Nimrod? Nimrod. Nimrod. He went before Nimrod, and it was this whole entire thing that you don't get. Yeah, he was an emissary of, of, of Nimrod. He was an emissary. He was a high official uh, uh, in the um, in the uh, positioning with, with Nimrod. Yes. Yeah. And then you see store not stories, but you see historical data like Noah show up in those apocryphal books that give you better insight on what's going on. So that's more of a compliment than anything else. 
I'm going to go back to this issue of the agenda of the Bible. I can prove to someone the, the agenda of the Bible in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Because somebody would ask, well, how do you know that the agenda of the Bible, the entire Bible, the agenda of the Bible is, by, is about Christ? And I said, I can prove it through Matthew chapter 1, verse six, verses 1 through 16. Because verses 1 through 16 give you the lineage of this Yeshua, the Christ. The only way, if I was to say to you, you are a descendant of Robert Holman Sr., and somebody would say, prove it. That's the reason why you have some of those books that are over there in the Masoretic text that are included in the codex called the Bible. Because without, because it establishes all the way from Adam all the way down to Christ. So if we're going to start at Adam, where we got to start? We got to include Genesis or we got to include Bereshit. And if you're going to establish the people that he's descended from, which it clearly says he's a descendant from the book of, um, excuse me, from the Yehudeens, which is the tribe of Yehuda, we have to establish the tribe. In order to establish the tribe, you have to establish the other 11 tribes that go along with it because they're in those books. So you have to include Shemot. You have to include how they got down there. You got to include how they multiplied. You got to include how they even got into the land. You go through the book of Judges and Shoftim and then you get to these books called Ruth and establish Boaz. That whole entire narrative in that first chapter of Matthew explains his lineage. And if you're going to do fact checking on this guy, you got to include all those books that prove that lineage. That is my basis or my theoretical understanding of why those books in the Masoretic text are included in the codex called the Bible and why books like Yehudit are not included, why Maccabees is not included, because they don't point to Christ. There's nothing in there that says anything about Jesus. So therefore, we're not going to include them in this book. But I'm going to tell you, this is the revelation that I saw when I was reading. I said, look how to how the most high work. Even in this man's ability to prove his own God, he proves the most high because he had to include the Masoretic text to prove his God. And without including that, we would never know. The Most High said, you mean to establish and raise up your own Dagon. But what we're going to do, everybody knows who Dagon is if you did the study in Shemuel. <laughs> By raising up your own deity, I'm going to nest my text in there so my descendants, my people, will still have their word intact even though you set out to destroy it by edifying your own God. And that is why we're here, because literally we started studying this Christ character. Yes, we did. And then as time went on, we started finding out the truth. And by its own idiosyncrasies and hypocrisies, we found the most high again, which probably wasn't intentional. The intention of, again, if you go on my theory, the intention of including those Masoretic tech books in the Bible is to prove Christ, is to prove his lineage, which is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. If you don't prove his lineage, then you don't have a, a Masoretic text. That means we don't get our way back to the Most High. So in the way of trying to prove something, 
They gave us a way back to the Most High, which is not their doing. The Most High orchestrated it that way. It is the honor and the glory of Yah to conceal a matter. Conceal a matter. It is the honor of kings to search it out. Yeah. yeah. The, the interesting part of what you have just said is that in essence and in truth, the Masoretic text does not lend itself, the Masoretic text itself does not lend itself to support anything, Correct. anything that speaks about a man mm -hmm. or a Moshiach in any time frame mm -hmm. except the final time frame which is called the messianic era. Mm -hmm. That's what our that's what that's what our Masoretic text supports. Now, we know, as I've talked about before, we know that historically, and by the support of other writers, that the Masoretic text is the purer text of scripture of all the writings of scripture. Mm. We know that. Yeah. It is chronicled that over 68,000 times in the in the translated and then when we talk about translate when we look at Hebrew, we have Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Then we translate Hebrew, and then what's remaining is the transliteration of the Hebrew, which gives us the ability to read or supposedly understand what the Hebrew said. Right. But the transliteration of the Hebrew has been altered by the Europeans. Mm. Correct. To to make their to make their and I'm going to call it a Bible because that's what it is for them. For us, it's not a Bible. No. No. The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblica. Right. <clears throat> so for us, we're not talking about a Bible. We're talking about a covenant. We're talking about, we're talking about a, um, um, a, uh, a covenant and also our, his, our history. Yeah, our history, our covenant, uh, the governance of how to uh, govern a, a country of people, uh, um, our morals, our morality. It's everything that's, that says this is a, a chosen people, this is your history, and this is how I want this, my people to conduct themselves. So it's 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 way more beyond just stories right, of, right. of the, the sea parting and someone getting ate by a fish. Right. Right, so we go back to the we get we go back to the historical <clears throat> writings and the historical understanding that inside of what they have transliterated, there absolutely is uh, no word in the Masoretic text that that uses the word capital G O D God to reflect. The um, the opulence of the set apart spirit, which is the Most High. Right. There's no word in the Masoretic text that does that. Mm -hmm. However, what our Greek 
influencers that have our people so confused and so connected to is the fact that they have altered the text to reflect two words that are over 68,000 times in that document. Mm. And those two words are God and Lord. And Lord, yeah. Used profusely. Yeah. The Most High's name is not in any Eurocentric work. Right. The word Yahweh or Yahuwah is not in any Eurocentric work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we go back to the to the Masoretic text, to the pure text, we will find the Tetragrammaton, which is Yod Hey Vav Hey. And as we as we talked about before uh, in one of our other podcasts, in uh, what is it, Shemot chapter three, mm-hmm. uh, and beginning at verse thirteen, 13 yep. uh, and reading down thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I think, and sixteen, in that text, in the Hebrew writings, the name of the Most High is written in the text. Correct. Now that's important. Mm-hmm. That's important. Because when we get to, um, where is it? I know I talked about this before and I don't remember where it is now. The terminology of text that says, they that call up on the name, if we read it from the Eurocentric perspective, they that call up on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Mm -hmm. But because, because the European text uses that word Lord People think that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. And calling up on the name of Jesus Christ will save you. But that's not what the text says. That's not what the text means. I talked about this before in another podcast. I don't remember where, where when it was, but where it was, but I remember, remember talking about that. And the and the uh, the uh, circumstances around which that particular statement is made. You know what's really interesting to me as you as you as we're skipping around here and we're talking about the the agenda of of this codex is that even with that right there there's a distinction you know something is wrong when you go through and like you said you're hearing God and Lord all over the place and they have the decency to give their god a name but then when they talk about the all existent one, they only use those two particular terms, which is God and Lord, which again, I think in my opinion, supports the idea of this trifecti, tri, tribunal, tri, whatever they call it. I'm, I'm being facetious. But the, the triune, the great trinity of this God and the flesh and all this other stuff to prove that. So if we have a distinction of the Most High's name, then we get we, 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 we detract from the person that who we're trying to elevate. If we associate God and Lord with Jesus Christ, then any time that you see God and Lord anywhere else in that book, you are going to associate it with that person. Yeah. So that's why you can get this, this horse crap about, oh, he was in the garden and God was here. And if you keep associating Christ with, with God and saying that that's who that is, then he'll show up everywhere in that book. But again, the distinction here is, is that when we read our text that was included, and if they heard this, they'd be like, well, and they probably still know, because I talked about it this past week, and said, they know more about your history than we do. So it's, it's a system, it's an agenda, 
And it's there to divert you away from your, where your attention needs to be, which is on the most Right, high. exactly. So it's important that we understand uh, the nature of things that have taken place in history. And one of the reasons why our people... Uh, I'm, I'm going to use I I, I I use to try and melanate it, but I'm going to use I'm going to I'm going to come straight come straight forward. Right. The reason why the majority of black people are so enamored with Jesus Christ is because what they have been taught from a Eurocentric theological presentation, mm-hmm. where where their L has been stripped out of the text and replace with these names that point to their demigod. Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, now, you have to be able, in order to understand a lot of what is written in the Apocrypha books, you have to have a very good handle on the foundation. You have to know. You have to know what the found. You have to understand what Genesis Bereshit is talking about. You have to understand what uh, Ex Shemot is talking about. You have to understand what all of those five books are talking about, mm-hmm. in order to understand what's being written in the apocryphal books. And you have to understand also what's written in the prophets to understand. Well, I was, you took, you just getting ready to take my thumb and say, if you understand those foundational books written by the goat, which is Moshe, there's no way in the world you're going to understand anything moving forward. You're not going to understand Yahashua. You're not going to understand anything that Shemuel did. You won't understand David. You won't understand any of the prophets. So really, that foundational piece, those five books are so tantamount. If you were going to start anywhere, start there and get a good understanding of what's going on with the history because everything comes out of that. Yeah, but the other, the other point to this is, is that even, I'm, I'm going to say this to you all, your spiritual leaders do not have a clue how the mitzvot interact with the actions and the decisions that are being made in text. Correct. Because they don't know what the mitzvot are because they have been trained by the Eurocentrics that mm-hmm. the mitzvot have been done away with. But the actions of 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 uh, of, Sam, of Shimshon yeah the actions of Shemshim, all the actions of Shemshim are, are centered around understanding mitzvot because mitzvot are in play in everything that he does. Right. And not only him, but in other aspects of, of things that, we, that we've read in text, mitzvot are in play. Yeah, I think Shemshim is like going to be the poster child for that particular point to be very impactful because if you read it from a Christian standpoint, he's just a big, dumb baby Huey. But if you read it from a Hebraic standpoint, understanding the mitzvot and why he's making the decisions that he's, he's making, they're very strategic and they're and it's in line with, with, the, with the mandate that has been set upon him to, one, his whole entire thing is to deliver or at least to start the deliverance of the Hebrew people from the Philistines. 
And that's exactly what he does. And he has to be strategic about who he's doing. Otherwise, you read Simpson. Uh, I mean, you know him. Other people might know him as Samson. But you read it and you say, okay, well, he was just enamored by a woman. And the woman just decided that she was going to just have her way with him. And because of his own lust, he couldn't focus and accomplish the goal. And he ended up dying for it. But... That's not. That's not. That's, that's not, not the case at all. Close <laughs> that's not even happening. coming close to what happened. So yeah. So to to have a Hebraic understanding again, moving forward, we have to apply the mitzvot to his actions. When you apply the mitzvot, then you're like, oh, okay. Now I know why he's doing that. Now but you I see. Know. But you see. <clears throat> if you continue with the idea that these mitzvot are not valuable. Yeah. didn't bring us to the goal weak and ineffective and they're weak and ineffective then you're listening to uh, the narratives from your spiritual leaders that really don't connect the dots in terms of what's actually taking place but yeah. and once again uh, I've been there I, I can you know Shaul Shaul uh gives his testimony about being a Hebrew of Hebrew and having Hebrew parents and so forth. Well, I'm a Christian of Christians. I had Christian parents. Yeah. I was raised in a Christian home yeah. and I was there. But the only thing that now that I can be proud of or have any thought because Shaul says in his testimony, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. I could say, well, I was a Christian of Christians, but the only thing that I'm proud of of being in that arena is that my father was a set-apart man. He was mm -hmm. a, I use your terminology, a holy man who prayed, and his main theme was holiness or set-apartness. Mm -hmm. So he taught me, he taught me what, what he understood holiness was. Now being Hebrew, now I know for a certainty what it is. You know what? Well, that's a great topic. That I want to just, just expound upon it a little bit. So, it being that's the biggest takeaway. You say, okay, I was Christian, and this is what I took away from it. Yeah, and that's that 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 component. Yes. Okay. Because and, and and only and only in the degree that he made us he made us understand that there has to be a difference mm -hmm. between you and people who are in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, come full circle, there is a difference between being Hebrew and all of the other nations of the world. True. There's True. a difference. And the difference is within this concept that is defined by the Most High who says, be set apart, for I am set apart. For those of you who don't know what the word set apart means, I'm going to break it, bring it, bring it, bring it back to your narrative. Be holy, for I am holy. Because I don't use that term because there, there are implications that are not wholesome in terms of, 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 um, of, um, of, of a right terminology that's associated with text. People put it mm -hmm. that way. So, being Hebraic now and listening to the Most High say, be set apart as I am set apart, okay, now gives me this understanding, well, now how do I do that? Well, you've given me some set 
of some guidelines that I can apply to my life whereby I can now do that and do it effectively because now I'm applying all the things in which that that it's remained to hit the board. Okay. Because while you were doing, go ahead, go ahead, finish this up. That's all. So I, I'm, I'm, go ahead, go ahead. No, because I was gonna, I was gonna piggyback on what you were saying because my, it, it's interesting that you say that your takeaway, as many years as you were, even a pastor, a Christian pastor, yes. at one time, to say that that's what what your takeaway. I mean, as a as a as a patron and a congregant, I think what I took away from it is the fact that you know. Christianity gave me this ability to see the world, at least from what I'm looking at it right now, see the text and our ancestors and relate to them and what they're going through. Yeah. To understand that they were plagued with all types of, uh, uh, of tests about, you know, pagan gods and all types of things yeah. and that are really not German. I mean, I can really empathize and sympathize with our ancestors as they were in the desert and they're, they've got a young group of people that have been born that know nothing about Mitzrayim and you've got this older seasoned generation that is telling them, don't do this. We, we've encountered this. We know what this is about. Understand this is not the way that the Most High wants us to go. So you have that kind of a way of saying, okay, I can relate to people that are still in Christianity. I know what you're going through because we were there once. We were there, right. And right. I can empathize with the struggle that you're having oh, yes. to try to come out and try to understand. And without that, if I was just like my children who have no idea right. what Christianity is about, I wouldn't be able to relate to individuals. And that's where a lot of our people are right, right now. Yeah, and it's, and it's difficult. It's difficult for them to even think about make you see a person who is very sincere about their soul mm -hmm. and their relationship with the most high finds himself asking questions mm -hmm. and as they ask those questions and they go to their spiritual leader for answers and they don't get the answer that they want or that they that they and their spirit still comes around pounding them. Nope, eh, wrong yeah. answer. Eh, wrong answer. Eh. Then they start praying. Mm -hmm. They start crying out to the Most High for a sense of direction. Mm -hmm. And everyone that's come uh, to our house has said, "You know, I knew there was something wrong. I was, I, I kept praying, and finally, I just stopped going to church, and I stayed home, and I just read and studied, and I read and I read, and the Most High started bringing this this understanding to me. And then I found you guys, mm -hmm. and then I came, and I, and I knew, I realized, oh, that's it. Right. That's what it is, right? But let's listen. Let's listen to some text that comes out of the helium, uh, uh, the Psalms that's that's written by the king in chapter number two. And I, I want to quote something. I want to quote. I just want two seconds. I want to quote something. Go. I want to give credence to one of the one of the great men, ambassadors, uh, statesmen, uh, emissaries of the Most High, your friend. Yes. We call him 
Bishop Young, but the only reason we call him Bishop Young is because that was what it was called in days past, but he is very much an ambassador and a Hebrew catalyst yes. and paved the way for us, but he had a saying that I want to just tag on the back of what you got done uh -huh. saying. Only a free man can set another, another man, man free. free. Yes, that's, and that's what he told me. That's <laughs> what he told me. He, he told me that, you know, and I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. Yeah. Now, in, in terms of what we have been talking about here, this particular Psalms uh, rings volumes. It rings very loud in terms of what has taken place. And the question is, that he writes, is why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples grumbling in vain? The earth's kings are taking positions Leaders conspiring together against Yahweh mm -hmm. and his anointed. Mm -hmm. Now, Yahweh and his anointed. The word anointed here is not Yahweh and Jesus Christ. Correct. That is correct. Why are they conspiring against Yahweh and King David? Mm. King David is his anointed, anointed, which in text he says, King David will be my anointed Moshiach forever. forever. Okay. They cry, let's break their feathers, let's throw off their chains. And he who sits in the Shemaim, that's heaven, laughs. Yahweh looks at them in derision. Then in his anger, he rebukes them, terrifies them in his fury. And I myself have, that I myself have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. Now, here's the here's the here's the here's the issue. The issue goes back to verse one. Why are the nations in, in an, an uproar? In an uproar. Hmm. And conspiring against the most high. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, listen to the text and realize that this particular text is written, is written long, 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 long mm -hmm. before anybody, before, before, it's written before, uh, it's written before uh, Constantine. Right. It's written before the Greek Antioch, Antiochus. It's epiphanies, Epiphanies. Yeah. This text is written before them, and at the time that this text is written, there is no other L in the mind of the Most High. None. Zero. Zero. Okay. So it can't be talking about JC. Correct. Correct. So Let when he close. talks about his anointed king, he's not talking about JC. JC is not in, listen, first of all, please understand, JC is nowhere in the mind of the Most High. Correct. So our, 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 our texts, our Masoretic texts, mm -hmm. the Mazorah, there is nothing in it, nothing in it, nothing that even leads you to think that there is another L besides the Most High L. Now nothing. Let's, let's go back to what we had said earlier. We laid some good foundational groundwork. You will think it is talking about JC because of the vernacular that it's written in. That's why we have to get back to the the Hebrew text and what this is about, because. 
Everywhere you see Lord and God, they're going to associate that with Jesus Christ because it's consistent everywhere else. So I can see it from their perspective, but when you look at it in its proper context as you are eloquently unfolding and unraveling for people, it has nothing to do with Christ. Let's look at something here. Let me go, let me go somewhere. We can go to it on the board too. Uh, if you go up to the, uh, hit the board and go up to the top, uh, hit the top, and no, 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 uh, we need to hit, uh, hit, 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 no, hit, no, no, hit, hit, hit in the middle, hit, hit oh, in the, the middle. Yeah, okay. hit it again. We got to get, we got to bring the green up. Bring the green there up. we go. Right. Now, see those books over in the corner? See the books right there? Yeah, hit that. Okay. And now scroll up and, and oh, find, and books. yeah, right. find, there's King James right King there. James. Hit right. the King James. Now, now look look at how that's written. Uh, go up to uh, so what, no, two, two, one. why do they? Yeah, the yeah, like totally yes, yes. So what do we start? We started. Did we start in verse one? Yeah. Verse one. Okay. Um, um, that's chapter two. Chapter two. Yeah. Chapter two. Verse, you said, you said, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, listen, listen to how it's written. Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel, counsel together against the Lord mm -hmm. and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He is seated in the heavens. He who is seated, laugh. Laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Now, <clears throat> the interesting part in the writing there that makes you believe that this is connected to JC is the word Lord. Lord. That's, you, it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to be consistent where and, everywhere that is. And this is written, and this is written all the way through text. It's written all the way through the text mm -hmm. uh, of, of your Eurocentric works so that you're always pointing to JC. Right. Because you're not, I don't want to say that. Why not? This is not a family chanting. <laughs> yes, it is. No, 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 no. <laughs> People are not, from a general perspective, are not students of Scripture. Yeah, this is true. That's very true. They're bobbleheads. That's very true. Yeah, we'll take your word for it. And then there are men who think they know, who think they're smart, but when you think about the majority of, of leaders that are out there, the majority of leaders that are out there are individuals who are following in the footsteps of their predecessors. Mm -hmm. So if their predecessors were... Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing that the Greeks did. Right. Okay? The Greeks did something that's called Hellenization. Hmm. They changed the culture of the nations of people that they influenced and that they took power over. Mm -hmm. 
um, 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 come on, I know his name, I know his name, I know his name, I know his name. Um, Who are we talking? <laughs> oh, okay, the Greek, um, um, not Constantine, uh, not, uh, not Aunt Antiochus. Come on, I know his name. I talked about him last week. You got me on that one. No, I don't. No, I don't. He died early and had his generals took over. He died early, his generals took over. Yeah, when, and Daniel talks about the four horns. I talked about him last week. I, I can't think. Today's not a day of thinking. <laughs> you got me too. <laughs> I, 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 I woke up. I woke up this morning, and my day was already spent because I just lost a whole sense of the day and time and what it's was going on. Of, yeah, what and, was going and my on. mind is not thinking right now. But um, um, he was a Greek emperor mm -hmm. who proposed that he would not take people by force or kill them to make them become Greek. But he decided that what he would do was infuse Greek culture in them mm -hmm. and therefore make them Greek. Mm-hmm. That's that's happened. Well come I can't think of it. You know name the person right that now. you know the situation that 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 reminds me of of the history of our people is when uh there was a particular king that Balak came to Baalam and then he says, Hey listen, you don't this is how you defeat them is you and start and go down and have them consort with them women down there and them women down there are going to start infusing their culture into theirs so they actually can be drawn away from the most high. But oh, yeah, I mean, it's just, just another I know example. this king's name so well, but I can't think of it right now. My, my, my brain is just not going there. Anyway, point being mm -hmm. is that by the subtleness of introducing Greek culture mm -hmm. into the nations, this particular text here, ask a question, we take it back to, back to its, um, to its, its, its initial thought. Mm -hmm. Why are the nations in an uproar? The people's grumbling in vain. The earth's kings are taking positions. Leaders conspiring together against Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And his anointed. Now, let me come back again. Let me let me change this. Let me change this anointed piece. Okay. Okay. Why are they conspiring against Yahweh and Israel? Israel is also termed. The people are also termed his anointed. Mm -hmm. Okay. We go. We go. We go to that word. To that. To that piece that said, "If my people who are called by my name." would humble themselves and pray, then I would hear in the Shemaims, I'd hear it from heaven, and I would heal their land, mm -hmm. okay? If my people. So now, these nations and these kings are at war against the Most High and his people. Mm -hmm. And the problem in this diaspora is that our people don't know they are the most high's people. And if you talk to any one of them about it, about it, they get very indignant about oh, I I I I I'm not no I'm not no Israelite. I don't want I'm not no Jew. Well, nobody asks you to be a Jew. 
That's right. There are 12 sons in the family. That's correct. And the, all of the 12 sons make up nations within this world. And and if you chase, if you trace, if you were able to trace your DNA back to your origin, mm-hmm. you would probably find that somewhere in there you are connected to one of the 12 sons of the nation of Hebrew Israel. Sure. Absolutely. And it and let me take it a step further. May not be where you wanted to go, but even if which you probably you are, which I agree with you. But let's just say for the instance that you're not, the sheer fact that, you know, you're observing the mitzvot and doing the things that are most high make you a part of the empire of Israel because that also includes the foreigner as well. We have mitzvot that are germane to them. So even still, even by, you're guilty by association. Yes, 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 yes. And that's a good good place to be. Yes. But more likely, like you said, probably nine times out of ten, you're going to be related to them in some form or fashion. Now, let's 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 understand something. Okay, why are the nations in an uproar against the Most High and Israel? Well, why do people get jealous? Oh, because you have everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you have an Elohim that is your Elohim who defeats, who defeats enemies. Yeah. Uh, the Most High El, in relationship to his anointed Israel, in historical text and history, has never ever lost a battle against any foreign entity that has come against his people unless he set them against them. That's right. That's right. That's very correct. So from the time they left Mitzrayim by a way that was not the normal way and they were conflicted by a nation of, I think it was, they were the first set of people they were conflicted with were the the Assyrians. The Assyrians? I think they were. Okay. I think they were. Assyria. And the Most High dealt with them and every nation as they traverse going to the promised land. Every nation that they came against that got in the most highest way and his way, he destroyed them and they never ever lost a battle except Yep. Except. except, Yeah. Except when they had sinned and had not repented of their sins. Great. And that is something that is germane and you will continually keep seeing that quintessential piece keep coming up over and over and over again when they are out of compliance. Even in the apocryphal books, you can read that all over the place. Do you remember? This is how you defeat them. Do you remember? Do you remember what you, what you, what you presented in, in, sure. in, that, in that narrative? Sure. One of the things that was presented in the narrative of, of Yehudit um, was... This issue of Achior. Achior is an Amorite who is brought before Holophanes, who happens to be the general for King Nebuchadnezzar at the time. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sends out Holophanes throughout the land to proclaim his sovereignty. And 
uh, he calls in all these nations that have joined with him, have joined in league with the uh, Assyrians. And one of the things that's, that's been told about them is that this group of Hebrews over here have decided to defy you. And uh, Achior is an Amorite that's been brought into the council of Holofernes to tell him about these Hebrew people and how to defeat them. Because he's asking the question of, of Achior, Holofernes is, is saying, who are these people? How are they garrisoned? What is, who is their God? What is all this stuff that's about? Tell me about this people that has stood up in defiance of, of the God of God, of the King of Kings, Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes and tells them about this people. And in the narrative in there, he says, let me tell you, they are powerful people when they are in compliance <laughs> with, with the Eye Asher Eye. If they are in compliance, if you find out that they are in compliance with the Most High, then I wouldn't bother about going and fighting them because you're going to lose. I'm telling you this emphatically, so don't even bother with it. But if you find out through some kind of reconnaissance that they are out of compliance with their, with the, uh, with their Elohim, then you can take them because the Most High would have turned their back on them anyway. He's not going to fight for them. So <clears throat> that is something, again, that where we can say that because we have an understanding of the behavior of the Most High and how he acts in the most Masoretic text, when we see other books that are outside of the Masoretic text, quote unquote, that say the same thing, we can validate it by saying, okay, well, yeah, this, this is, provides value to uh, our understanding of what's in the text. Now, understand something here, okay? Your protection or our protection as Hebrew people, even in this exile from the nations and the nation to which that we are exiled, is predicated upon our being in right standing and in right relationship with the Elohim of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Mm -hmm. That Elohim, Yahweh, El, Elohim, the Most High El, the opulent spirit, being in compliance with him gives us the kind of protection that we need to have in this exile mm -hmm. so that we can, we can function as, as free and with the liberty of knowing and, and, and coming to grips with the idea that many Christians use out of context because they're not in compliance. Right. Which is the reason why they're falling like, they're falling like flies uh, under the oppression of the oppressor. Mm-hmm which says there is no weapon formed against me that can prosper. That particular text right there is germane and it is applicable only mm -hmm. to Hebrew Israel. Right. And, when, and, now, and that's when they are in compliance. Correct. If they're out of compliance, oh, then they're subjected to the, the whims of the Most High. Let's, let's roll this text uh, uh, a little more here. We, we got let's go back to, you want to go back to the, the yeah, let's book? Go, let's, let's, go, let's, go back, let's go back to something here. You told me how to use this thing. Yeah, go back, hit that, hit that one right there. Uh, let's, go, let's go somewhere here. I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, 
let's go to um um let's go to chapter four. Going up to chapter four. Right there. And and let's read from I'm gonna read for a minute. Okay. For the leader with the stringed instruments, a psalm of King David. Okay, so this is the musician. This is the this is this is the guy. Yes. All right. And he's saying this these words. O L, my vindicator, answer me when I call. When I was distressed, you set me free. Now have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, first of all, what I want you to grasp to grasp in here, okay? I want you to hear how he is talking to the Most High mm -hmm. because this is a prayer. This is a prayer, okay? Men of rank, how long will you shame my honor, love what is vain, and chase after lies? Selah. Means stop. Stop yep. and think about Meditate it. Meditate on that, yeah. How long will you shame my honor, love what is vain, chase after lies? Understand that Yahweh sets apart the set-apart person for himself, Yahweh will hear when I call him. Mm -hmm. Yahweh will hear when I call him. Now, we bounce back to Devarim chapter 4 and latter clauses, or chapter 4, chapter 5, latter, latter clauses. It says, and what people, what people are there Mm -hmm. that because of these laws and these rules that I'm giving you have an Elohim that's as close to them when they call, call on him. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. see, if you are in trouble, if you are in trouble, if you are in distress, I've heard people, yes, they've called upon the name of Jesus and they somewhat, they, they say, but the issue is, that that is not the name that is the set-apart name mm -hmm. that you can depend upon in every situation of trouble. That's correct. That is correct. The king says, when I'm distressed, mm -hmm. and when, when I've got people that are set around me, you know, you have set me apart and you will hear when I call. Mm. You can be angry, but do not sin. Think about this when you lie in bed and calm down. Offer sacrifices rightly and put your trust in Yahweh. Offer what sacrifices? What sacrifices is the king talking about? See, there's, there, once again, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a wordplay that is not discussed in any text unless you know the history of what sacrifices he's talking about. Right. Because there's four of them. Mm -hmm. But this particular sacrifice that he's talking about here is the sacrifice of thanksgiving mm. and the sacrifice of praise. Mm -hmm. Offer sacrifices rightly 
and put your trust in Yahweh. So what sacrifice is he offering here? He's offering him a sacrifice of thanksgiving and a sacrifice of praise. Mm -hmm. Many ask, who can show us good? Yahweh, lift the, lift the light of your face over us. You have filled my heart with more joy than all their grain and new wine. I lie down and I sleep in peace for Yahweh, you alone make me live securely. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know who you're listening to, but I turn, I, there, there is a song, there's a song, uh, there's a jazz song uh -huh. that's called U-Turn. U-Turn. It's a beautiful song, uh, 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 jazz you song. You, you stumped me on this one. Who, who does it? U-Turn um, is put out by uh, old, uh, uh, Johnny uh, no, 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 a sample. Oh, uh, Joe Sample. Joe Sample, yeah. Okay, okay, very good. And, uh, if I were you, in this climate that we're living in, mm -hmm. with the possibility that Agent Orange <laughs> could, could rise to authority in the White House in the next few years, and knowing the climate that he is going to introduce into this exiled world that we live in, you might want to start making a U-turn now and turning to the safety of the one who has never, never lost a battle. Mm -hmm. The Elohim of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov did not get his behind whooped and hung by the Romans or the Greeks. Right. The Elohim of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov has no ability. There is no ability in him to die. Absolutely. There is no ability in him for anybody to lay their hands on him and inflict any kind of punishment. That's right. And it's really, it's really interesting because once we take that 400-year that nap, all of a sudden that happens because we can see through uh, the prophets all the way going back to all these dispensations of time through the Assyrian uh, exile through the Babylonians and then coming out of the Babylonians right into the Persians right after the Persians you get right into uh, the, uh, uh, the the Greek uh, and then once you get on, come out of the Greek, you go right into the Romans, which is right when the New Testament starts happening. And as soon as that starts happening, no other time prior to that have you ever seen the Most High come down, get his butt whooped by any of these nations. Never. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's going to get his butt kicked by the Romans. And that's supposed to reconcile everything. Oh, by Jove, I've got it. And, and, and the question Maybe, would be one. Yeah. The, the question would be one. Why, for what intent purpose? Mm-hmm. Would the Most High have to lower himself to the level of humanity to prove anything? True. This is true. Especially he, 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 he reduced himself to, to, the, to the status of a man. To prove what? Right. And when he's boastful enough to say in our Masoretic text, where were you when, when I, I created everything? Everything. Why in the world would I stoop down to your level? Not to be, you know, arrogant, but he can be. To say... I've created all things. I don't have to do 
any, my word has been set. You've seen the fruit of what I've asked you to do. Abide by the mitzvot, you will prosper. That is the formula. It's the it formula. Is, it's not anything else. And I'm going to tell you what, your formula for this Christ thing is not working because like you so eloquently put in our last podcast, if that was the formula and Christ is your protection and you believe in him, then how come he's not protecting you now? Yes. Yeah. So there's this thing about, again, going back to the, the, the issue of, hey, you know, it's taking a deeper look at things and challenging where you are and not being afraid to understand that there is an agenda behind all this on what you're being taught. And you just can't simply be a bobblehead and believe what someone's telling. You're going to have to do the research and find out for yourself and it's going to challenge you. Case in point, there is a calendar event that's getting ready to come up nationally in the westernized world germane to the United States next week that people are just going to go and abide by. You know what that is? It was recently made a national holiday. Juneteenth. It's called Juneteenth. Juneteenth, if you ask the average black person what Juneteenth is, they'll tell you that's the last day that, or it's the day the slaves in Galveston, Texas found out that they were free. Those were the last slaves that found out about it. That is a complete lie. The last slaves that found out that they were free were in Georgia. It wasn't on June 19th that they found out. They found out they were freed on December 6th, 1865. So if you want to go by the last slaves that actually were freed and knew that they were free, it was in 1865, December 6th. The reason we give credence to Galveston, Texas is because of the fact that they were the, Texas was the first state to ratify it. The other states didn't chime in until after that. So you're celebrating it for Yes, it's a good, noble reason, but if you want to be specifically strategic in context about when the last slaves heard, it was on December 6th, Truth. later on that year. Truth. You have to do your research Truth. and understand Truth. what is actually happening instead of just accepting it because this person is standing in front of you. And I think that's, uh, that's our mainstay. That's our mainstay. If, you, if we stand here and tell you something, we expect you to go back and research and fact check the matter to make sure it's okay. And that's always been the mantra to say, if, if something we say is, and, we, and, and the proof is in the pudding and, 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 the, and the beauty is in the eating because people have come to us and said, why are we doing this this way? Yeah. And we've recognized right. it and changed. Yes. And that's what you have to come to the understanding of and say, when people bring you a truth about this dichotomy that's happening over here in the Brit Hadashah, which we call the New Testament, you can't have such a closed mind and not understand what the Most High is really doing or what's really being said to you over there. Because it could be from a place of deception. And because that's what you've known your whole entire life, you don't feel like you need to challenge it. So I've been told this Juneteenth is what it is my whole entire life until I actually did some research on it and I had to update my understanding of it so I could be in right standing with historical facts that I could stand on and be confident about. And this is where we are. We uh, can stand on his, his, this historical the, the, fact. When we talk about scriptorial matters, yeah. we're talking about factual information. All that we've said this evening in this podcast, I leave these words with you. If you understand what they mean, sila.
<laughs> this has been Rabbi Robert B. Holman Jr. And Sean Appleton. And this has been Hebrews, Hebrews in, in Exile. exile. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs>